This is Steve Smith at the California Western School of Law, and I call the law review to order. Today, the battle over medical marijuana. Can sick people use marijuana in California? As we shall see, it's not a simple question and one that has embedded in it a lot of struggles between autonomy and state authority, between the federal government and the state government. In 1996, the California voters adopted a proposition, Proposition 215, the Compassionate Use Act, that permitted limited use of marijuana, possession of marijuana, cultivation, and sale of it for medical purposes. Other states are considering similar laws and are now following California's example. So it's an important question. Is that proposition create legal rights for people in California and elsewhere? Our lawyers today are experts on the complexity of medical marijuana. Juliana Humphrey, a San Diego public defender, and Steve Walter of the San Diego District Attorney's Office. Welcome back to California Western, both of you. Thank you both for joining us on Law Review. As always, our guests on Law Review are speaking only for themselves and not for their offices or others. To begin this complicated discussion, is it legal to grow, distribute, to, to take, medical marijuana in California. Steve? I, I guess it depends on who you ask. If you were to ask a federal prosecutor or a federal law enforcement agent, they would tell you no, because under federal law, it is not legal to do any of those. Uh, if you were to talk to somebody that was a state law enforcement officer or a prosecutor such as myself, uh, there are certain circumstances where yes, you could. Um, if you did have you know, medical marijuana recommendations from a doctor and followed certain guidelines, and yes, I think that under certain circumstances one could. Juliana, do you agree with that? I think that sounds like a fair assessment. Well, I'm, I'm a little confused to tell you the truth because it sounds like if I live in the United States, it's illegal, but if I live in California, it's legal. Um, so that brings us to a great question of, of the relationship between state law and federal law. So let's go back to the, uh, the, the basics. What are the federal laws dealing with marijuana? The federal laws, fe marijuana is a Schedule One controlled substance, which means you can't possess it, can't cultivate it, can't keep it, can't keep it for sale. Bottom, bottom line is it's forbidden. So you can't do anything with marijuana under federal law. So where does Congress get the authority to enact that? kind of law. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the United States, the federal government, is one of limited power. So where in the Constitution is there authority for Congress to adopt uh, these drug laws? I believe it's in, correct me if I'm wrong, Article One of the Constitution. Yeah, for those following along in their hymnals, it would be Article One, Section 8, Clause 3, I think. Um, Right, but that's not always. Right, <laughs> that's not the last word. That's uh, not uh, right the commerce clause, exactly. the ability to co control commerce. And just before we move off this, I can't help but ask, suppose you grow it yourself, you consume it yourself, is that in interstate commerce? Well, I, I think you can certainly make arguments depending on where you get your, your seeds, where you get your clones, where you get your nutrients for your, for your plants, where the electricity comes from that you use to power the lights. So I could see that there could be a, an argument made that it, it does somehow affect it's interstate commerce. It's connected in yes. some way with interstate uh -huh. commerce. And in fact, that's, I guess, primarily the authority. Is it for all of the federal drug laws? I assume. I think that was initially when the Controlled Substances Act was first uh, 
came into being in the early 70s, mid-70s, the idea was that it was uh, the, the burgeoning post-60s drug problem was affecting states as a whole and in, in, in between states. And so that law has been at least upheld under certain challenges as being uh, one that did not step on the toes of the state. But I think it's important to remember that our country was founded on uh, a very strong belief in states' rights, and we had a, a very uh, deep and abiding skepticism of federal government interfering in, in each state's business. Your, your, your answer suggests to me that you have some doubts that the Interstate Commerce Clause of the Constitution would support that federal regulation. I, I have some serious doubts about that, particularly after 1995. Uh, in the, in what happened in, in 1995? In, in 1995 was the uh, case U.S. versus Lopez, which changed everything as far as um, I, I think the, the argument that Steve was talking about was, uh, you know, where do you get your seeds, where do you get your electricity, that kind of thing, that, that however tenuous the federal government was able to make a Commerce Clause argument. And then came Lopez, which was a uh, guns in uh, schoolyard, uh, possession, possession of guns in a school zone case. And I think most legal scholars thought that was going to be a no-brainer. Uh, and boom, <laughs> the, the United States Supreme Court said no, that that did not have a connection to commerce. Enough of a co uh, connection, it, at least, for a Congress. Even though just the example you gave, that farmer growing his own little organic veggies, selling them in his own little community, did have a connection to interstate commerce. They had previously ruled that, so it was a, it was a huge uh, stare decisis blow. Uh, so, so I think it's not clear, and certainly by the terms of our marijuana law here in California, there's nothing by its terms that would indicate that it should or was intended to affect commerce. Uh, I'll have to say that, that, that we, we, we're going to move off the Commerce Clause, but it's a great example of one of the sort of hidden issues that's going on in the, 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 the battle of authority of the federal government versus state government. Of course, it was central uh, and a central issue in the health care uh, decision of the Supreme Court at the end of last term. But we'll come back to that uh, another time. In the meantime, tell me about what the California law says about medical marijuana. Well, the law is designed to permit patients to obtain uh, marijuana as medicine. Steve also mentioned that marijuana is in Schedule One, and that's very true. And one of the hallmarks of Schedule, schedule One meaning Schedule One, there are different schedules of drugs. So mm -hmm. marijuana is in Schedule Two. Uh, one. Excuse me, One. We want it to be in Schedule <laughs> Two. It's Freudian. Schedule One, uh, whereas, and so what Schedule One says, there is no medical use surprisingly, even though many states and many uh, doctors and patients would disagree, whereas other drugs that people might be surprised about, cocaine, heroin, are not in Schedule One because they have known medical uses. And so those can be regulated, they can be prescribed. And that's really the difference is if, if marijuana was in Schedule Two, it could be prescribed. Purchase at a pharmacy. Doctor would talk about it with you more freely. Those kinds of things. So, is the essential disagreement about whether medical marijuana is permitted in the ways we've talked possession and sale and whatnot in California, whether it's constitutionally permitted under the Commerce Clause for Congress to regulate it, or are there additional legal disagreements? I mean, there are policy disagreements, but just the the legal, the nub of the legal agreement is it the Commerce Clause essentially? I couldn't say what the genesis of the whole thing is. I mean, state law is, 
is something that's evolved ever since Prop 215 was enacted in 1996. Uh, there is an, a separate statutory scheme separate from Prop 215 that details what can and can't be done respecting marijuana in the state of California. Um, I, I'm not sure if I've answered your question or not, but... Well, and, and on that issue, cases have come out, yes. which ha you know, it, it's illegal. Not enough. <laughs> yeah, it's illegal <laughs> under California law, for example, to grow marijuana. So there had to have been uh, rulings by various courts saying, well, no, under this circumstance you can't. And then the next thing was, well, can you transport it? If I'm growing my marijuana and I'm taking it from my home to I'm visiting someone, I, can I take my marijuana with me? So transportation is also illegal under California law, not just federal law. And so that needed to be, little exceptions needed to be carved out each one by one as we explained and worked our way through this law. The, there, there's another section of the Constitution that, that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was uh, Article 6, Section 2, which is the Supremacy Clause that says the Constitution of the United States and the laws that are enacted uh, under it and the treaties of the United States are the supreme law of, of the country. So if there is this conflict that you have just described between California law saying you can do something and federal law saying you can't do it, does it if Congress has the authority to enact the Schedule One limitations that you've just described, is it then clear that, that the law is what Congress says it is? I mean, as interpreted by the courts, of course. You want to handle that one? I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess what I'm what I'm I guess I'm not understanding where you're coming from because. In practical application, you've got federal law which says marijuana, you can't do it, use it, grow it at all. And then you've got the states, California being one, where there are certain circumstances where you can do certain things with marijuana. At this point, there's been very little litigation, if you will, between deciding whether state law is unconstitutional as it relates to, to the federal system. And there really hasn't been a whole lot of litigation at this point where you're pitting one entity against the other. Uh, there was one originally, was it the one out of San Francisco with the Cannabis Buyers Club and then the, I think the Dennis Perron, no, that was a state case. But there really hasn't been a whole lot of interaction between the two. You, most of the cases that we're seeing now are either in one form or the other and there hasn't been a whole lot of, well, you can't do this because the other side says you can't. But that's a very interesting point because I think most people on the street would say, well, yeah, you know, Ace King, that the, the federal should trump the state, and what's, what are we all arguing about? But that's not true. And, and in this particular situation where we value so much the ability of states to be those incubators uh, of new ideas, it seems really unfair to then pull the rug out from under that and say, well, but we're supreme. Uh, and so it, and it's almost a bootstrapping because in my view, even the the notion that the federal government has taken over kind of the drug issue was a stretch. And so to then say, well, now that we've done that, we can now kind of circumvent uh, the state's ability to do these things. And so um, I, I don't think that that is really what the supremacy clause was talking about. I think that was more of a like a uh, individual rights situation, like in the civil rights era uh, and, and things of that nature. Although the supremacy clause would would mean beyond civil rights, I mean it doesn't apply just to the amendments. It apply, if if the Congress says 
and has the authority to say that you can't do something, whether it's a civil right or not. I mean, in, in terms of banking, in terms of um, growing wheat, mm-hmm. uh, it, it becomes the, the, the supreme law of the land, I suppose. But, it, but of course, as you say, Congress has to have had the authority to do it to begin with for it to be effective. Right. So where do things stand in, in San Diego right now with, uh, with med- mer- medical marijuana? Well, I, I believe that the, the basic contours for individual patients are clear, that they can possess marijuana, they can grow marijuana if they are too ill not to do uh, either of those things on their own. They can have someone assist them with that who is also someone who's helping them with their other needs. And that's because the California law per- permits Correct. Them to do right. it. But, but Steve was saying the federal law does, if I understood you right, Steve, right. you were saying the federal law doesn't exactly permit even that. I, I don't think it would permit that right. at all. But they look the other way. Okay, so, is, so the, the law is... You asked about San Diego. Yeah, good, good point. Uh, so the, the law is probably, if the federal law is, they probably can't do it, but that they're... The, 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 there's a sort of prosecutorial discretion not to go after it. Is that certainly right? Well, and there's also the issue of medical necessity defense. The the Supreme Court has ruled that there is no medical necessity defense available in federal court for people who are distributing marijuana, but it is has not ruled that there is no medical necessity defense for people who are possessing it for their own personal use. And the medical necessity defense is is it a kind of a right of privacy? No, it it's it's a right to your health and survival. And so if you are trying to, you, um, uh, if you have a, a, an illness that is causing you either debilitation or potentially death, you have the right to use something that would assist you in, in staying alive or maintaining your uh, level of health. And that is the initial defense for medical marijuana before Prop 215 was enacted was the defense of me- medical necessity. So does the federal government recognize that? Because it isn't they with, do. with pharmaceuticals as well as... Correct. And, and pretty much all 50 states do. Um, there weren't a lot of case... There wasn't a lot of case law on that topic uh, until probably the late 80s, early 90s. And, and state by state, uh, in varying degrees of um, factual scenarios, recognize that right. Not just about marijuana. So, so it would matter whether a state had tried to allow possession and growth of marijuana, you're saying, I think, for medical reasons as opposed to for recreational use. So Colorado, is it Colorado? There's a state that has, I think it is Colorado, that has a, a proposition on the ballot this year that more or less decriminalizes marijuana for general use, not just for medical use. And you're saying that would be different raise different constitutions. Well, the defense certainly would be different in federal yeah, court. Yeah. I don't think you could raise that defense in federal the, the, court. The, and that'll be an interesting thing when that happens. I mean, that, in California, that didn't pass, uh, but it would have been interesting had it. So if, if, if a state wanted to open up the use of opiates without a prescription, could it do that under that uh, medical necessity defense? The defense arises once you're charged. In other words, it's not a prophylactic kind of thing. It is something that you can assert uh, if you are charged with a crime. But I don't think a state could say, we think more people should take opiates. Well, in part opiates. because there, there's an alternative. I suppose, even if, as I ask the question, there's an alternative route to obtain that legally. Correct. And probably and, difference in that And sense. actually, very good to point that out because that is one of the elements of medical necessity is there was no other reasonable means yeah. to obtain it.
Today on Law Review, we are talking about medical marijuana and the law with two wonderful experts on the topic. Juliana Humphrey, a San Diego public defender, and Steve Walter uh, from the San Diego District Attorney's Office, both of them here as individuals and as educators, not uh, representing their offices. Well, let's talk about pharmaceuticals in the United States. There's a, a well-established formal process for distributing uh, everything from antibiotics to drugs uh, for medical purposes. It requires a demonstration that drugs are safe and effective, then a distribution, manufacturing that is uh, regulated, distribution to pharmacies, a doctor's prescription, and then uh, someone can get the drugs. So that's been in place for, a, for many years and is generally successful. Why not just use that for medical marijuana? Well, the problem that you have doing that would be um, controlled substances are regulated by the federal government, specifically the Drug Enforcement Administration. And in order to get them available to pharmacies and, also, and so forth, you'd have to get the feds to allow something like that. And as I said earlier, anything to do with marijuana pretty much is illegal under federal law. Because of the way they have it classified. If they took it off Schedule One, I think Juliana was saying, well, let's put it in Schedule Two, which would allow then, I assume, the normal experimentation to be done to determine whether it's safe and effective, and if so, prescriptions. Is that what everybody ultimately wants? Well, there is, to some degree, there is experimentation going on as we speak. There's the, I can't remember the name of it, but there is an institute up at UCSD, UCSD. Yeah. which does have uh, some sort of DEA permission, if you will, to, to do limited investigative studies and, and testing with you know, the efficacy of using marijuana to treat uh, any number of different conditions. Has there been enough study done to determine how effective and for what conditions uh, marijuana is, uh, is effective? I mean, if the FDA were permitted to consider it because it was on Schedule 2 instead of Schedule 1, uh, would, would there be the possibility of having the FDA approve it because the studies have been done? At this point, I don't know that there's enough. I'm, I'm no expert on yeah. what the FDA would require in order to allow it for you know, experimental use or, or whatever that is. And one of the problems is no one would have a patent on this. So the economic incentives to do it that for a new compound that a pharmaceutical company is trying to, to license, there's an economic incentive to get it patented. Here there'd be no patent, I assume. Well, there are already some drugs that do uh, involve marijuana. There's Marinol, which is something that is I don't remember what schedule it is, uh, but that is marijuana that's available in pharmaceutical, or in, I don't believe it's synthetic, but it is something that is available for doctors to prescribe, uh, which does contain some component of THC. There's also a substance called THC being the active, right? Uh, well, a primary active ingredient, at least, maybe not the only one. Right. It's delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol. <laughs> and he's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other one is Sativex, which is being marketed, I believe, by, I think it's an English pharmaceutical company that does, I believe, have some um, use, some pharmaceutical use in perhaps Britain and maybe the EU as well. Well, if, if this is not the process that currently is available for, for medical marijuana, once California permitted this uh, by the Proposition 215 that was passed in 1996, how was it distributed if it wasn't distributed through, through pharmacies? Well, 
the I, I called it the hope you know a college student plan. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 that it really is a, a serious problem. It, today, if someone were to be diagnosed, God forbid, with cancer, uh, they were going to undergo chemo and radiation starting next week, and uh, the anti-emetics didn't work for them, and the nurse suggested maybe a little marijuana, that person does not have time to go plant some seeds and wait for it to grow. They need to obtain it now. And so if they don't know someone that they trust to get it from, then they go, you know, they have to go to more nefarious places, black market, you know, go down to Mexico, uh, all kinds of places that you don't really want to be going when you're sick. And so that's always been the major hole in this law is the obtaining of it. You have the right to have it, you have the right to grow it, but you may not have time or, no, or know how. And so, you know, that's, that's the problem. And, you know, rescheduling, it seems like such an obvious thing to do. Uh, the federal, rescheduling meaning change the federal law from, from making it in the first schedule to the second schedule. Correct. And it's been that. tried many times. And in fact, the DEA recently ruled, I believe last year, or maybe early this year, once again, that medical marijuana had no medical use. So even this is a regulatory matter, not... Congress passing. Correct. Although Congress could change it. I mean, but yes, it's in the first instance, at least up to the DEA. Exactly. So an administrative judge here has a hearing, and, and this has been going on since the 70s. And it's, you know, it, it is a political thing. Yeah. Coming back to the point you made that you can't grow your own necessarily as a practical matter if you need medical marijuana. So how did some, how does someone in California obtain it other than find a college student, not a law student, but a college student. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I mean, that, that, and... Well, but there were, I read, I mean, I take the paper, and I read about these dispensaries. Yes. Well, the, I think pretty much everybody would agree that you can either grow it yourself if you're unable to do that. Uh, there are provisions in the law which allow you to appoint a caregiver who would do that for you. Um, there are also components of state law which allow the collective or cooperative cultivation of marijuana. But what that latter component is, is up for interpretation. And so that's the, I don't want to call it a cat and mouse game, but something, the, the back and forth that I've read about in which dispensaries were opened and then they would close by, is it state or federal officials, I actually? Both. Oh, okay. Both. And so in San Diego County, and I am guessing much of the rest of California, there are few or no dispensaries open? Uh, it's very different throughout California. That's, that's one of the, one place to another? Correct. That's one of the hallmarks of this law is that it, you know, what, the thing the law is supposed to do is to give it, put everyone on notice what the rules of the game yeah. are, and this is one that, that has failed miserably at that. And it, it, just as the states don't like to be told what to do by the feds, individual counties don't like to be told what to do by the state, and within those counties, certain cities don't like to be told what to do by the counties. And so you have different regulations uh, in very different places. There are places that, for example, early on in, in San Jose, the, uh, I think it was the police chief may have even been in conjunction with the mayor said, we're not going to raid any of these places anymore. We're not going to arrest medical marijuana patients. We're not going to participate in any cooperative raids with the feds to do this because we have made the choice here that we're going to permit certain levels of, um, you know, what would otherwise be illegal activity in the procurement and or growing and, and distribution of marijuana. So everyone's different. 
So where does that leave somebody who wants to get it? Well, if, for medical purposes. If I were ill, I'd rather be in Santa Cruz okay. than San Diego. That, I see. Um, so what's likely to, to happen next? Well, I think what you need is any number of different things. There are a number of cases that are up on appeal. There's uh, a collection of cases that are before the Supreme Court that deal primarily with storefront dispensaries and whether uh, municipalities can can close them down, if you will, using zoning or nuisance-type ordinances. Uh, there's a whole group of those, as I said. Meaning they're closed in that case because they're violating... Some sort of civic ordinance relative to where the, the location, the operation of them, various and sundry different kind of, I guess, uh, fire codes, uh, zoning ordinances, that sort of stuff. There are also some that... Um, there are also instances where you've had... Uh, appellate courts looking at various components of cultivation or collectives and cooperatives, whether you can transport, whether you can't transport. Those are the types of things that are, are issues that are percolating up through the appellate court system in the state, which would help those of us that are dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis figure out what are the rules. So that would be something that would be tremendously helpful to me here as a prosecutor in court, and I'm sure to Juliana as well. Another thing that would be helpful is if the legislature would get back involved with this and, and perhaps clarify some of the, the existing statutes and be more specific let, and you know spell it out. What can you do? What can't you do? And, and ultimately, unless the, the federal law is unconstitutional for Commerce Clause or other reasons, it, some effort to align federal and state law seems like it's called for. I mean, th this is, a, this is a, an example maybe of where uh, the federal system creates special challenges where that's where there's state where there's state authority and there's federal authority and they're overlapping creates real um, problems of making the law sufficiently certain to to live with and and as you both have said real people have to be making decisions based on a lot of uncertainty about what the law what the law is absolutely you can you can open a grow marijuana do whatever it is that you believe uh, that a state court would sanction in terms of marijuana, and then the very next day have the feds come in and shut you down because its bottom line is marijuana is illegal under the federal law. Well, uh, we're going to take a, a brief break and invite Grace Garner, our associate producer and California Western student, to give us her take on the high points of our discussion. Grace. Thank you, Dean Smith. I think the, in 1996, Prop 215, the Compassionate Use Act, was passed. And that allowed people who were sick to uh, grow or possess medical marijuana. Of course, the problem with that was for the people who needed it immediately, which left them to find someone who, who sold it, which was illegal. Um, and, but currently, you can, depending on which county you're in in California, you can possibly go to a dispensary or a collective in order to obtain this. Um, but that just depends on where you happen to live. Uh, but unfortunately, under federal law, it's illegal to possess or, or grow medical, mar uh, medical marijuana or any marijuana, and that causes the really big problem because you have a federal law and a state law that don't quite match up. So until marijuana is considered a Schedule II drug, which means that it um, has medical use, there's always going to be this complicated law of whether or not um, it's, it's legal. 
Thanks, Grace. That was a nice summary, and uh, I suspect this is a book that we've only read part of the chapters and that there'll be more uh, to come. So today on Law Review, we have been looking at legal issues related to medical marijuana. I'm very pleased that Juliana Humphrey and Steve Walter have joined us, have been back at California Western. Thank you for enlightening us. As always, our guests on Law Review speak for themselves, not formally for any office or organization. So thank you for joining us on Law Review. Uh, thank you to uh, Grace Garner for her comments. Until next time, this is Steve Smith. Law Review stands adjourned.